0: Sooners of Oklahoma,
1: 12-0, and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning in to another special edition episode of the Barry and Mack Show. I'm flying solo, but not really, so joining us today, a special guest, Mr. Brian Etheridge of Sikkim 365, he's going to help us go behind enemy lines, take a look at what the Baylor Bears are going to be throwing at the Sooners this Saturday on ESPN Plus, right? So, uh, Brian, how are you doing today, sir?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's a little bit of an honor here, being one of your first guests. I mean, sort of there in the first week or so of the of the uh, getting the launch. So it's great to be here, and uh, looking forward to talking a little ball. Absolutely, man.
1: And uh, I won't uh, well won't bury the lead here. Um, OU has had their struggles uh, this season, but uh, so is so is Baylor a little bit. You know, coming off a championship run. It's interesting to to see where the team is at. You lose your quarterback or kind of force him to move on, whichever, you know, p- folks want to uh to believe and I'm sure you can provide some some insight there on that. But just the uh 3000 foot birds-eye view of what Baylor has been this year, what has been your assessment?
0: I I think it's been a year where the reload didn't happen as fast as everyone hoped it would or I thought it would either as well. The you know had some injuries on the offensive line, had some injuries on the defensive line, had a very physical game out in Provo where Baylor lost seven starters during that game due to either concussions, um, and one knee injury. So it's been a it's, it was a little bit of a strange year where, you know, the, the gelling really didn't happen uh, until this last game against Texas Tech, and that's the team that everyone expected to see uh, all year long. While losing, you know, I think they lost six guys out of the secondary that all went to an NFL camp out of the five, you know, out of five starters, you had another guy that was a uh, it was back there that went off to an NFL camp as well. So you had a lot of experience in the secondary, uh, losing uh, Terrell Bernard at linebacker as well, pretty much one of the coaches on the field, and. You know, just having that team has had to grow up. This current team had to grow up without those guys leading. And um, there was a little bit of a leadership void until the past few weeks. Um, you know, they started, sort of started seeing it come around against Kansas and then obviously against Texas Tech. And uh, getting the return of Khalil Keith on the offensive line, who'd missed all the games until he played half a game against Kansas, um, allowed Baylor to start running the ball like they had in 2021.
1: Yeah, running the ball has been such a, a crucial part to to your all success. I mean, there was this perception, even in, you know, sort of going back to the Bryles era, you know, that Baylor was uh really this vertical sort of air raid style passing team. And that was the one thing when OU brought in Levy that I, I don't think every fan understood was was that what made Baylor such a, a a destructive team on offense was that they they would get downhill on you and they they would really bring it to you in the run game and then also had that deep vertical pass threat uh with guys like Coleman i mean you you go back and yet yet petty there at quarterback um yeah. and, and speaking of quarterback I want to talk a little bit about this what, what happened the, this past off season and then what has been your your assessment of uh, of shaping uh, thus far.
0: Um, Bohannon was your starter last year against Oklahoma and ran the ball pretty effectively. And uh, that I think he had 116, 126 yards or something like that against Oklahoma in the Baylor victory. And during the spring, they had it open between Blake Chapin and Gary Bohannon and, and Blake won the job. Uh, Gary just couldn't push the ball downfield like they wanted. Didn't have He has a live arm, but just a decision making of getting the, the ball out. Shapen was doing that much better. Uh Shapin will run a little bit. Uh got you know, got the uh targeting hit against him, took him out against West Virginia. Um so that was sort of a, a turning point in that game as well. Uh so you know Bohan is a he's a solid quarterback, he, you know, he's injured now at South Florida, it was starting there. But Shapin had a little bit librar arm, a little bit quicker decision making. And he makes throws that Bohannon just can't make, and you know that's not a knock on Gary or anything like that. It's just it is what it is at that point. Um, so when the decision was made, they gave Gary enough time to to transfer out. He did, you know. The staff wanted to keep him. They were, but as a backup, in which obviously when Shaper was knocked out against West Virginia, uh, redshirt freshman Kyron Jones came in and, and did was respectable, but uh, they would much rather have had jerry bohannon back there uh, as a as the backup quarterback this year um but one thing that shapen will do he'll air it out and he's sort of got a little bit of brett Favre in him he'll 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 try to make passes he believes in his arm and he'll try to make passes sometimes and people go "You it's a no 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 yes or a just a no 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 you shouldn't have thrown that ball at all type of guy you know and but he's a uh, A little bit smaller, you know. He's six one, six foot six foot one, about you know two hundred five pounds versus Bohannon being six foot three, two forty. So just two two different kind of guys. Uh, But he will light it up downfield, and he he's overthrown coverages, you know, many times this year with some sixty yard bombs where it's all in the air.
1: Do you think there's any um, not necessarily buyer's remorse with that, but? in In making that decision as, as early as it seemed, Aranda did, I, I know uh, Riley's mo here was to to really let that stuff go, you know deep, deep, deep into fall camp. What was is there any kind of pushback there from the fans as to, to how that played out?
0: I mean there were some people that were upset that Gary transferred, um, but if anybody went to the spring game or watched the spring game, they saw shape and outperforming um It was a little bit of a shock that they did that, uh, that they did, you know, unseat the guy that got him to the Sugar Bowl and won a Sugar Bowl. Uh, But, uh, you know, Miranda has always said person over player that he's going to do the person better than the player. So that's the one thing that everyone understood, that he was making that decision early as for Gary as a person. And then he could transfer out and, and find his best opportunity or stay and remain the great teammate he was, um, he obviously had aspirations of playing in the NFL, and so he went. You know, wasn't going to be the starter, so he moved on to become a starter at South Florida. There were some people that are still not happy because of the loss. You know, last year they beat BYU, and this year you know went on the road and lost in double overtime. Or that you know they beat West Virginia. You know, anytime something bad happens, you're going to have that part of the fan base that comes out and has the negative opinion of, well, in hindsight, 2020, you know, this guy might've done it. Um, but again, you don't know until, you know, you actually play a game with it. So there were people that were a little upset about it but everyone pretty much understood it was best for Gary to let Gary have the opportunity to leave. And, uh, that's sort of the MO of Dave Aranda.
1: Just staying with the offense a little bit, uh, I know you touched base on them uh, get, getting an offensive lineman back, uh, but the the run game, I, I know twenty nine, I believe it's Reese has had a, a pretty solid, okay, um, clo- nearing a thousand yards. Um, and then you've also got um, Holmes out there catching passes. I believe he's six. Uh, been trying yeah. to watch a lot of Baylor uh, this year. Um, what's been your um, kind of take on on the skill guys? does baylor have you know, th- that threat that can take the top off of a defense which has really given ou fits uh this season a lot of things have given him fits but really having a guy uh, like quentin johnson at tcu who could stretch you kansas had a few guys uh, does baylor offer that and then also a run game as the offensive line has, has seemed to improve this year kind of feeling like hitting that that peak against Tech, at least from outside looking in, uh, what's been your
0: thoughts there? Baylor does have; they have a very talented and deep wide receiver room. The issue has been they're all freshmen, sophomores, essentially outside of Gavin Holmes. So you have Monterey Baldwin, who is their speed guy that had, uh, you know, I think a sixty-plus yarder in the Sugar Bowl. He's had I think two or three this year over sixty. And then Hal Presley is now finally coming into his own. Uh, Who's a four-star receiver who went to Auburn. He flipped from Baylor to Auburn and then spent, I think, three weeks on the Auburn campus and then transferred and back to Baylor. Um, so he's a big body, 6'3", 205 pounds, can really high point the ball. and He's starting to come into his own. So it's, they were inexperienced and not getting separation to start the season. And I think that's a, it got a lot of people, you know, some of the closer games, you know, against BYU, if those guys had performed a little better, they probably would have won that game. Or if either had missed, made an extra point or a field goal or two that they missed. But it was something where those guys had to grow up. They're starting to grow up. And Gavin Holmes had a horrible game against Oklahoma State, then turns around and goes for 200 yards in the next game. So there's been some just sort of the consternation between that youth and having one guy who has experience, but again, Gavin Holmes has missed three years with medical injuries uh, with, an a, with, a, with an ACL. He, he suffered his freshman year and then tore it again his sophomore year and then uh, broke his foot his junior year. And so now here he is as a, as a fifth-year senior, uh, essentially playing for the first time outside of the two or three games he plays as a true freshman back in 2017. So it's good to see him do that. Very sure-handed, gets open in the in the zones. Baldwin's going to be your guy that takes the top off, and he's been he's he's missed three or four games this year with a again got a concussion against BYU. Uh, with one of the guys that did missed a couple games there, came back, got rolled up on against Kansas. He missed the last game um, against Tech, so you might have even seen more points scored if he'd have played because he was going to be able to burn the secondary. He plays, that's the guy you got to double over the top if, if, because he's going to burn you deep. He's a smaller guy, but he is a legit four, 4 3 guy as well. He's one of the fastest guys on the team, even including all the guys that went to the NFL last year who were running the 4 3s at the combine. So he was in that, in that mix with those guys, but he's just a little bit small. and once, But once you get the step on you, there's no catching
1: him. And defensively, you know, uh, moving to that side of the ball, uh, Baylor has had just studs back there. I mean, on the defensive line, you, you've you had Petrie in the secondary, who's j- just been a terror and absolutely was just a, a wrecking crew uh, of a guy uh, against Oklahoma, you know, every time they, they faced each other. You know, Baylor, I, they've had a few games this year. I mean, the West Virginia ca- game obviously comes to mind. Oklahoma State comes to mind. but. It's felt, and maybe I'm off base, maybe you all see it differently, it's felt like you guys have still had consistency in the defense. Maybe not to that same elite level um, and sort of at all three levels that you saw from from the Big 12 championship team a year ago, but uh, how, how has Baylor been able to do that? Right, they've brought in some some talented guys, but you aren't seeing them recruit necessarily, you know, top fifteen, top ten classes. How has Aranda been able to do that with his staff? And then, who are some of the guys this year who have taken those roles?
0: I think one of the one of the one things they did is recruit speed and size for the secondary, and also some speed uh, or or size for the defensive line. Uh, all the guys that they they recruit can run. I mean, one of the guys that made an interception against Texas Tech, uh, or two of the guys that made it. Were, so we had five interceptions against Texas Tech, um, and four of those guys were sophomores or freshmen. So that's been sort of the issue: is learning the learning the coverages. They ran a lot of just Tampa two start the year, uh, and they were getting burned in it because they weren't able to do anything too specific outside of Tampa two. Well, they came back this. Uh, against Texas Tech, they played man for the first time all year. So they finally installed another package in the, you know, the eighth game of the year, they got the package installed. So that's been, I think, the growing the growing pains of that secondary. The defensive line, they've been just rushing three because they've been afraid of the back end getting exposed, which they're still getting exposed because, uh, you know, the defensive line wasn't getting a push. Against Texas Tech, they finally had that, The package installed for man, you know, man up on the islands and they were able to release some of the linebackers into blitzes and also Al Walcott, who's replaced Jalen Petrie. He was uh, coming to the backfield quite a bit as well. He ended up having an interception um, and he's one of the top guys for havoc plays, which, you know, Baylor tracks that in the in the Big 12. So he is sort of taking that Jalen Petrie role, but he's about 6'2", about 210, versus Petrie being six foot, about 195, uh, 200 pounds, you know, you know, playing for the Texans. So you have um, a little bit of a mix. There's still a lot of athleticism back there. Even the linebackers all can really run. But experience in packages, experience running twists and stunts, has been something that was really, it didn't really all hit home until uh, for a full game until Texas Tech this last weekend. So they're sort of hitting their stride right now, but they're also going to be going into the toughest part of, their, tough, tough part of the schedule, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, and K-State all coming up. Uh, two of those at home, two on the road, and obviously I, think, I don't think Baylor's won in Oklahoma since 2014. Um, yeah. And so that's going to be a very difficult road trip for them. Um, they were expecting Texas Tech to be really wild and loud and crazy, and it really was. And they sort of took the uh, took the crowd out of the game early, and it was. You could hear Blake Shapin calling snaps, you know, from the stands, which you usually can't do on a in a on a road game. Have you been? Surprised
1: with what a- Aranda's been able to do in keeping what Rule built. I mean, go back, give credit to Bryles also, too. But, um, in, in what Rule was able to kind of lay there in terms of a little bit different style than what Bryles was a little more flash, Rule was a little more kind of down in the dirt, you know, I- I- if you will. a oh, blue and, collar
0: all the way, yeah,
1: yeah. So, have, have has Aranda surprised you guys, or was this expected?
0: I I think it was a little bit expected to have the defense um, that that they that Baylor is having. I mean, they you can go look at you know the recruit list and just start reading through those, but you watch the tape on all those guys and you see guys that can really run and really want to play for him. And um, you know, running with that huge nose nose tackle, you know, with Apu in the middle there, it's it's really uh, something that is unique. Uh, I don't think anybody else in the Big 12 really has a 6'4", 345, hundred and forty five, three hundred fifty pound nose tackle. Nope. Uh, that is that kind of athletic that he is, and he'll and he could be an NFL first rounder. We, you know, he came off a little bit early, slow this early, but he really picked it up in the past three games, and it's going to be really interesting to see what his decision is at the end of this year. If he goes on, if he gets the grade he needs to be a first or second rounder, he's likely going to leave. Um, and you know, get paid. And that's, I mean, that's great for Aranda because he can point at that guy and say that guy left and went on and made millions. And now we can recruit with that. Um, and that's sort of how he's been recruiting off the guys from LSU. They recruit Louisiana quite a bit now. Um, and it's, you have to come to camps to get an offer from Baylor essentially. And they go out there and they time every one of them. And they, and it's a, uh, you know, almost NFL combine of what they're looking for or, um, there have been some players that dominated camps, don't meet the measurements of what they're, what they want and, or they don't have the tape to back it up. Cause they might, you know, play like, look like Tarzan and play like Jane type of things where you can go out there and be a, you know, a combine warrior, but your tapes kind have to back it up. But if those things match up then Bayer usually you know, ready to offer on the spot, uh, because most of the guys that come to camp, they've already seen the tape. They're ready for it. Um, you can see the cornerbacks are in the six foot range. Uh Tevin Williams out of Stillwater, Oklahoma, that, you know, played with Mike Gundy's son, you know, was a state one hundred meter guy in Oklahoma, the state champ. And uh that was a big steal for Baylor to get him out. And, you know, he had an interception against Texas Tech in the end zone. Um, and he's starting to come into his own as well. He's he's past three games, he's played quite a bit more. So you can see just that that evolution of, of that secondary coming in, allowing the the, you know, the front seven to go after the ball a little bit more. So looking at Baylor's
1: schedule, uh, before we get a little bit of the uh, kind of overall Big 12 outlook, you've obviously got the road game against Oklahoma. Got to play K-State, but you get them in Waco. Mm-hmm. Get TCU in Waco. Those are two of the the best teams that the Big 12, um I think, has to offer this year. I don't think that think that's pretty objective. And uh, Then you finish at Texas. Just kind of your your lens here. How do you think this plays out schedule wise uh, for the Bears?
0: It's, it's been a crazy year in the Big 12. I do. I mean, for some reason, I mean, the Oklahoma game right here, this, both teams are going for bowl eligibility at this game. So this is going to be, I think, it'll be a very physical game. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I haven't really put down my prediction yet. Baylor did play against Levy, Levy's offense last year at Ole Miss. Um, uh, Gabriel and Corral are much different players. Uh yeah. Bader knocked Corral out of the game early. You know, I think he had two interceptions and then he sprained his ankle or went out of the game after I think the fourth or fifth sack. That's right. Yeah. Um, so Bader's played this. Obviously, Baylor has plenty of tape on the on the <laughs> offense. Um <Tons>. you know, <laughs> eight years worth, maybe nine years, nine seasons worth. So that's gonna be interesting as well. Um, they they know that um, you know you know Gray Oklahoma is a great running back um, so that's going to be it's going to be something that Bader can contain the run against Oklahoma um, and get pressure on Gabriel uh, that's the one thing that uh, they did against uh, Texas Tech things they did against Kansas is you know contain the quarterback making make passes but Gabriel is probably the best quarterback they're going to face of that of the last three. Uh, and then you have K-State, and for some reason, K-State is a, it's a house of horrors in Waco, and they come to town in 2012, and they were number one in the country, and Bader was just fighting to be relevant um, and knocked them off and just destroyed K-State. And uh, Colin Klein, is the office of coordinator now, so I doubt he's forgotten that. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a night game. So it's going to be Bader's first night game, I think, three years. So the fan bases are already picking it up, and they're excited about the night game. Uh, Then TCU comes in and that's essentially there's some hatred there between the fan bases, you know, going back through all the Southwest conference and TCU was a school that was in Waco until it got burnt down and and then they moved to Fort Worth. And so it, it, there's a lot of bad blood between those two schools between the two schools. So that one is usually a very, very, very physical game. And and TCU had some luck this year playing against people. They knocked Gabriel out of the game on a cheap shot. Uh, you can't you can't say it's anything but a cheap shot uh, that hit that he took. Um, they knocked out um, Daniels as well, so they haven't really faced anybody's number one. In uh, Sanders was hurt when they played Oklahoma State. Martinez was out when they played k State. So it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, TCU and Baylor when they square off if they can if they're both healthy enough to do it, and then Texas um you know there again there's some hatred there um and obviously with um everything's gone gone down over 120 years of playing each other uh they're going to come out after each other in that game as well and so all four of those games will be very physical uh very emotional and you know Baylor needs to win out to make it to the big 12 championship and that's their goal um you know, but right now they they want to be number you know one to zero against Oklahoma, but playing you know on the road at Gaylord's going to be really difficult. I mean, that's, um, but they have to win that game. If they don't win that game, um, you know, they need to regroup and somehow get that sixth win and get to a bowl game and keep the momentum going forward.
1: Yeah, it's the, this Oklahoma team. You know, we didn't know to start the season if what that that tough stretch would be what we thought we had an idea thought it would be more of the back half with Baylor and Oklahoma State not really having any idea that that the TCU Kansas State and you know Texas this year although a little more of a flute game I think OU still loses that that ball game but not having Gabriel in just made the offense um, it was entirely dysfunctional so there was no way they were going to get around that
0: they were running you and I out there at that point, and that was I was watching it just just shaking my head, going, you know, I, it was interesting to watch how uh, the backups just. I mean, you don't want to say they're not ready or not capable, but you you'd expect to see those guys throwing the ball a little bit, um, but it, it it sort of went back to what we saw when we were Big Twelve media days when Brent Venable said they had 47, I think, 47 new players that had never won Oklahoma Crimson and Cream on the the field. And I was like, oh. At that point, I thought this is a little bit, um, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a a different year for Oklahoma because when you have 47 new guys, it is difficult, you know, to have everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. And I think that we started to see this now similar to what Baylor's going through where they're starting to gel now and having that, um, having that come around. And they're, they're both in a similar position right now where they're starting to play their best ball of the year. And they wish they probably could get a couple of those games back that they lost it in the earlier part of the, the first eight games of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like Baylor fans can have an appreciation for, you know, kind of losing a guy. I mean, granted, it was under different circumstances with Riley and and Briles, but just mm-hmm. even, even, even though you have talent, quote unquote, on the team, when you have so much quick attrition, you lose a guy who was such a an integral piece to your success in your culture, right? That this was sort of yeah. Lincoln Riley's culture at that point. And, and you saw what happened with Baylor and it didn't take them long for them to get it flipped around, um, kind of, kind of outside looking in, what has been your, your overall assessment of the Venables hire?
0: I I questioned it a little bit at the beginning because he'd been passed over before. And then with big 12 media days, he was so nervous and I was like, Oh, come on, man. But, (laughs) you know, I I felt, I felt a little sorry for him at first because he was so pumped up, but he was so nervous and he's, and he was, he, he jumbled his words a couple of things and some people made fun of him online. And I'm like, I'm sitting there going, you know, I have a good friend that, that coached at Clemson, right? They love him. They played at Clemson, they love him. And I'm like, and they're like, Yeah, he'll be fine. Give him two or three years. But when he lost that big to Texas, I was like, oh no. You know, please don't make rash decisions on him. Give him a little time because you do have to install your culture. And his culture is much different than Riley. Offensive and defensive coaches you know, you, you can tell hear him talk about family and about, you know, togetherness. And that's what defensive coaches do. Offensive coaches, a little bit more in star power. We're going to blow you up, right? And, and that's the thing he started doing, you know, instilling in it. And Riley's defense uh, wasn't that physical, uh, you know, compared to some of the Oklahoma defenses under Stoops. And yeah. so you saw that culture move across there and Riley being at USC is more of a fit because the Pac-12, I mean, you don't want to say it's soft, you know, football isn't soft, but when you see a running team from the big 12 run into a Pac-12 team, it's usually not a good result for the Pac-12. Yeah. And when Baylor started getting very, very physical with Lincoln Riley teams, that's when Baylor had success against, against OU. And last year, obviously, there was the bad blood at the end of the game where Aranda kicked back to field goal, and Riley threw a fit about it. And Aranda explained to him on the field, why we're we doing this is for a tiebreaker to get to the Big 12 championship. And it got, you know, it, it just seemed like, you know, you know, somebody peed in his Cheerios. And, you know, as a coach, you can't let that kind of emotion out, you know, and let other people see it. And I think that's how Riley sort of, at that point, showed some of his colors of what happened and why he left for me. No reason to leave OU, but he did and went to USC for more money, but the culture change going over to Venables was going to take time because again, you lost, you know, your rattler Stogner. Uh, Gosh, I mean, this talent after talent just left and they didn't all go to USC. A lot of them went, you went elsewhere. Yep. And that was something very difficult preventables to overcome early but now you're starting to see some of his guys growing up and um and that's it's just take it's going to take a little time i think the next year they'll be even better uh but this year is just going to be some growing pains which against texas was a major growing pain uh against k-state it was a growing pain and things like that you know losing at home you know in that in the like they did against k-state you know was a you know a kick in the shin and for Baylor to lose at home against Oklahoma State like they did was a kick in the shin. And mm. uh this whole big twelve season has just been one, you know, barrel of knives coming out everybody, except for TCU for somehow there's they're they're skipping through it all right now. They're and hanging in there. Yeah, they, they still have to play, let's see, they still got Texas, they still got um mm. Baylor, and then I think who I'm not sure who else who they played. They played K State this weekend. Yep, so, K State, yep. Yeah. What happens there? Right. So if uh, if K-State somehow pulls it off against D.C.U., um, you know, again, we're back in a free for all and everybody's going to be punching as much as possible. So before I get kind of what you expect
1: to see, you know, in this game Saturday, as we've uh, touched on a little bit of that, you know the Big 12 going through changes and Baylor's going to be a part of the future changes you know more more long term yeah. OU obviously won't does the Big 12 I want to ask this a little bit differently cuz I think everybody agrees that the Big 12 is going to be a healthier conference by adding an Ohio market adding Florida you know the stability that those states offer and the access that they offer in terms of recruiting I mean you just can't that you can't overvalue that enough. It, it is so incredibly important for the health of a conference to be able to tap into those areas. But I, I want to ask: Is where do you see this conference in in terms of of tiering, the the tiers stacking up that hierarchy of, of conferences with OU Texas going to the SEC? I think probably in two years. I think it's going to last a little bit personally. Um, just m- my opinion. Where do you see the conference stacking up? Is it gonna be still in sort of the ilk, although seen a little better this year? I, I think people have recognized that. Um, are they or are do they have a chance to get past what the Big Ten is gonna be? Um, obviously the the Pac twelve is searching for answers. Uh, where do you see them in terms of conference hierarchy?
0: Yeah, I would see them as a solid number three if there's uh, for going forward, I mean, I've I I watch a lot of football. I mean, the ACC and the Pac-12 to me are just, I, it's unwatchable at times. Um, and, AC, I mean, the ACC, I, I, you go look at the metrics right now, and I think the Big 12 is number one or right against the SEC West is what, you know, they keep breaking the SEC West out and putting the Big 12 under it. And you're like, okay, but put up the rest of the SEC with yep. the East. Um, this year is, you know, the big 12 is up there, uh, metrics wise. Now, viewership wise, that's the issue because there's not an Ohio State, there's not a Texas nor an OU going to be in it. So, um, the numbers right now have been very favorable, uh, you know, to viewership. But it also, it also depends on which, um, broadcast, uh, network you're going to be on. If you're on ABC or Fox, you're going to have a much better viewing than you are on FS1. And... Yeah, ESPN Plus game coming up here. I mean that that <laughs> one where all of us were just shaking our head, going, "What happened?" But again, OU signed with ESPN Plus this year. They hadn't played a game on it yet. I don't think so. They'd you know, won. ESPN, at Kent State. Okay, <laughs> but so, that tells so ESPN, you. But ESPN is going to get their blood right. Yeah, they're going to go out and they're going to get their pound of flesh, and that's what they've done. And we're all just sitting there going, "Come on!" Of all games, you're going to put Baylor OU on that, not not one of these others. Um, but it, has Baylor and OU fallen that far? No, that's just the television partner going, Hey, we're going to make people sign up in Oklahoma because we just paid, paid OU money to come onto this platform. They've been on Bally's and Fox Southwest all in, or Fox Oklahoma all these years. And Hey, you're coming to this, you know, you're going to sign up to see these conference games. And you know, it's, it, it's such a money grab. And that's, that's the sad part, but it all I mean everybody from Baylor, you know, we've been on it three years. So, we're like okay, we you know watch our volleyball and our softball and our baseball on there. You know so great we're going to see a football game. It's got to flip back and forth when you get through it. Uh, but I think that after getting the extension uh, done or getting that signed this this coming week, um, which was announced Sunday, they're in a solid position. Uh, you know making fifty million dollars. You know the SEC will make you know sixty to eighty to whatever uh, is the projection, and I think the projecting the same or a little bit more at the big 10. So, you know, the the big 12 is not going to catch up to those guys in revenue, but when they face each other, when they face each other on the field, they need to win. And that's all, that's all you can do. If Baylor plays Oklahoma in the future in a college football playoff, if Baylor wins, then it brings the big 12 respect. They lose same old big 12, you know, so you got, you have to follow through and compete on the field and win. and, there's plenty of players to go around in this country. There's plenty of players uh, all over, and it also depends on how the NIL going to shake out. Is there going to be the, you know, paying players? If that's the case, and the Big Twelve will be paying players just the same as as the others. Um, so, what in the end you got to find your guys, and you got to build your culture, and you got to be ready to play and um, and innovate. And, and continue to call the right plays and, and recruit the right players. And and that's where you are. And I think that's what the Big 12 has to do. And then they have to win on the field. And winning on the field, they've done it in basketball. I mean, Baylor and Kansas, the last two national champs. Um, I mean, you know, Baylor's women's basketball has won three titles. That's not going away. So they'll still have that brand recognition in basketball and the brand recognition they have in football But they weren't, they're not going to have that measuring stick of people going, well, they beat Texas or they beat Oklahoma, even though Texas didn't make a bowl game last year. But you still hear that kind of talk when really and truly Oklahoma State was likely the best team in the conference last year and Baylor, you know, nipped them there at the end of the game. Um, So that was a, you know, a very, interesting year last year to see that and the numbers that those two teams put up, that people actually watched the game more than any other conference except for, you know, the SEC and the championship. So that was, uh, you know, fun to see. And and at that point, you have to build off that, though you can't fall back and you can't become, um, you know, a lesser than after you've succeeded. You still have to keep pushing forward and keep succeeding and and building your brand. And your mark is sort of, got a, a vision of that um, very much out, very, very different than Bowlesby. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he implements his vision into uh, the rest of the, you know, the rest of the, the conference.
1: It's been such a, a tumultuous decade for the big 12. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at where they were at, golly, in, in 2011, 2010, I mean, it felt like the conference at that point was, I mean, and it legitimately was, you had teams, you know, shopping for the Pac-12, you had obviously Nebraska and Missouri and AM and it all just left. So to see them bounce back like they have and and have such, I actually think Oklahoma, even though they didn't win the, the conference semis, I think consistently having a team represented in, in the playoff has been a huge factor. You know, the fact that TCU and Baylor were both, you know, heavily in the running and you could argue should have either one should have been in the game, um, in the semis, the, the inaugural year. Um, I, I think the big 12 is, is healthy. I mean, it's as healthy as it's ever been and the leadership I think is better. The, the coaching, I mean, one would argue talking just football the coaching top to bottom is probably the best that any league has to offer. I, I don't know there's, if there's There's no there's, easy outs. None, none. There's not a not a bad coach at a single school. I mean it, it yeah. is really solid coaching, you know, from top to bottom. And I mean, if anybody still needs to kind of prove themselves, I would say it's you know who, who OU brought in you know this past year and just kind of being objective. He's a guy who's I, still. I
0: think Neil, Neil Neil Brown's got a little bit still to go there, and he you know he might be on the way out at like yeah California.
1: yeah and I for yeah some
0: reason I, Iowa State you know Matt Campbell had a lot of love but not a good year. And not, not a good and last year. last year was a was a fall down too. So it's been a. You know it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, there in a couple of years. If he can't if he can't build off back what he had with Brock Purdy, that's going to be interesting.
1: So so finishing this week, you've been so generous uh, w- with your time. Um, but into the end of this week, Saturday, OU and Baylor will uh, lace them up, strap them up, and, and play two o'clock on ESPN plus. Uh, don't want to necessarily ask you to make a prediction. I know that you guys do some stuff on your platform in that regard, uh, but. How do you see this thing shaking out? Is this going to be a close, kind of low scoring affair? You know, maybe the, like the Iowa State game OU just had, or do you think some points get scored?
0: I think you'll have some points scored. I think that, I mean, the the offense that Oklahoma has, Gabriel, if Bader can contain and keep him in the pocket and get pressure on him, um, it, it'll be interesting. Um, I do think Bader can run on Oklahoma. I mean, that's been the Achilles heel for Oklahoma's defense. I mean, I think giving up as many running, uh, rushing yards as they have in conference. And that's one of Bayer's strengths. So I'm pretty sure Baylor's probably going to lean on that. Um, but the one thing that Baylor is a little bit weak on is the, is the pass defense, which they had the great game against Tech. But still, that's still not Dylan Gabriel or, you know, the athleticism of the, the Oklahoma receivers. So they're going to have to contain Gray and Gabriel And keep those guys from breaking long runs on them, and then also keep the ball out of, you know, the the receivers and keep them in front of and in front of the safeties. So that's going to be what you know to me. What Baylor has to do for Oklahoma, they're going to have to stop the run somehow. And at that point, if they don't stop the run, then Baylor's going to open up the the offense and be passing around on them because they're going to be putting too many guys in the box. So that's going to be. It's sort of like you have two strengths going to get you know against each other's weaknesses. And so I, I think there could be some serious points put up on the, on the board there, uh, this, this week. Brian,
1: I want to thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous today. Um, if you could, uh, tell people where they can find you and the site.
0: Oh, I think 365.com. We've got a free, free side, pay side. You got both. Uh, you can find us on 365, um, sports, uh, YT on Twitter for our YouTube. Um, page which is our radio show we do three to six with david smoke craig smoke and and paul catalina Uh, they do three to six every day it's a great show Twenty five thousand plus subs ton of oklahoma ton of oklahoma state i mean all over the big 12 they cover the entire big 12 not just baylor Uh, you can find me be underscore sikkim 365 you can find our other twitter page is sikkim 365 but we have uh you know we try to bump out as much content as we can for baylor and then our radio show is just all Big 12. We have a, a Baylor-only section. Then we take all that and move it over there. So it's sort of, we keep all the Big 12 and all the national in one area. And that way people can, uh, you know, not get stuck down just with Baylor stuff or, or you know, flood that over. And uh, we want to make sure that everybody enjoys what those guys do. And, 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 you know, we've been blessed with having the studio there and keeping everything going and uh, with realignment and having great sources on on what's happening. And, um and all the different teams we've had you know venables on we've had castigley on we've had you name any ad in the conference we've had him on the radio show uh, we've had your mark this last week uh, he was on on and he sort of broke it that they were going to have this and it's like uh, oh, we're pulling back a little bit you could hear it in his voice like he uh, sort of overspoke and then pull back on what he said and so we've had a really you know we've been really fortunate and uh, really blessed on, on the team we put together and we enjoy it. We'll have a guy there Saturday filming. So even if you don't, um, you know, you're not a Baylor fan, you're a U fan, it's, it's, we do a thing called Views on the Brazos where we do just raw footage of the game and, uh, and you know, just do 15, 20 minutes of plays. And it's just raw raw footage so you can hear the crowd reaction and the players' reactions, and you don't have the commentary. And it's a really fun thing that we do with that. We do it for all of Baylor sports. No, we'll have there some have a couple people there on uh you know at Gaylord on Saturday to to take it all in. Brian, thank you so
1: much. Uh as I said earlier in the uh, episode, I believe it was off air, just how how much, you know, us launching Sooners360.com and how you know looking at you guys from afar and what you've done was uh, certainly an inspiration and what yeah, you know, I think a lot of sites and uh, sort of, sort of entities should aspire to be. You guys have done it really well. You know yourself being a huge part
0: of that, and we want to thank you so much for
1: having you on today.
0: Oh, thank you very much. And, and believe me, if you ever have questions or have have anything, reach out to me. You have my number. You can always call me, and I'll be happy to help you with uh, with y'all's uh, platform going forward. Or if there's ideas you you think, well, yeah, is this gonna work? You know, shoot them off of we, you know like I told you earlier we've been doing doing this close to 20 years so uh, in some form or another and uh, a lot of mistakes a lot of things learned but the one thing we want to do is make sure everybody you know has a platform they can go to and get solid information from
1: and thank you so much Brian